Hello, I'm Paula Fanous and welcome to Formidables, a podcast series speaking from the heart of Western Sydney. In this podcast, I'll introduce you to amazing artists, young and old, who share with us about their creative careers. We are broadcasting from Darug country, so we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Hello Aruna, hello Aruthi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you both here. Um, thank you. So this episode is going to be really, really interesting. We've got two very incredible cultural dancers, and I actually know nothing about the particular uh, dancing style that they do, so I'm very excited to learn all about it, and I'm sure that all our listeners at home are too. So... Could you both just tell us a little bit about yourselves? Maybe where your artistic journey began and how you got here. Uh, Aruna and then Aruthi, please. So um, I started learning uh, Bharatanatyam, which is the Indian classical dance style that I perform and practice, uh, way back in 1984 in India. And it started off as my mother's interest. So she wanted her daughter to learn dancing. So she just put me into a dance school and um, I started learning. But the blessing that came with it is my guru. Guru means my teacher. So my Bharatanatyam teacher. And she's the best that I could have had in the world. Professor Sudharani Raghupati. So I started learning from her and uh, it's like after about six to seven years, I had my first uh, stage performance called the Arangetram, where one performs a full length Bharatanatyam uh, recital of different pieces. And then after that, of course, I've had many performances throughout India. And then I assisted my guru through various projects of, um, you know, of bringing out books on Bharatanatyam. And then we brought out many uh, DVDs on Bharatanatyam. And uh, also in conducting workshops, lecture demonstrations and performances. And then in 2009, I moved to Australia and that's when I started my dance school here called Silambam Sydney. And it's been a long 10-year journey. And yes, it's been wonderful to be here. It's so crazy because I remember watching the DVDs that you were just talking about. So I have a feeling oh. I've been watching a lot of you dancing without even knowing that till now. Oh, goodness. So, <laughs> it's so strange how everything comes back. It's remarkable. Wow. Yes. Um, well, my Well, I was born and raised in Sydney and I, w- I used to go to... Um, community language school so my mother tongue is Tamil so my parents sent me to community language school and every year you'll have a I guess um a showcase and every grade would get up and perform and I remember girls who were about like six years older than me so I was about four they were about 10 they did a semi-classical 
dance and I fell in love with it. I had no idea how painful training can be and how getting dressed is actually not as fun as it looked on stage. So I begged my parents to send me to Bharatanatyam classes. So when I was six, um, they sent me to a teacher and I learnt with her for about six years and then I moved to my current guru, Abhirami Kumara Devan in Homebush and um, then I think when I was just shy of 16, so in 2013 I um, performed my first solo recital, Arangitram, and since then I've been a student teacher at my school, um, so it's about been about seven years now. So student teacher, um, pretty much having a hand in a lot of our school productions and attending workshops and just trying to find out where I can take dance next and keeping it relevant, I guess, um, because that's the big question people ask me here, my contemporaries, you know, why would you, you know, being born and raised here, why would you learn an Indian classical art and what's, how is it relevant to you? So that's kind of where I'm trying to take my art form, but we'll see, yeah. So you both do the same Indian classical art form and that's... Mm-hmm. Bharata Natyam. Excellent. Yeah. So Bharata refers to uh, also India, which is uh, another name for India is Bharat. And Bharata comes from that. And Natyam means dance. So the dance that is from uh, India, one of the interpretations. Wow. And the other is also um, there was this Bharata Muni who actually uh, scripted the, you know, all the theoretical aspects of this dance style. So that is another interpretation, Bharatanatyam, coming okay. from him. Yeah. What yeah. are some of the key elements of that dancing style? Bharatanatyam is, uh, it's basically a language of gestures. So we use different hand gestures that communicate various thoughts, ideas, and stories. And one of the key elements is called as Abhinaya. So Abhinaya means to express or to communicate or to convey an idea or a story. So we use uh, different facial expressions and through our hand movements and body postures and movements, we can communicate our feelings, our thoughts, our ideas, our stories through the performance. And then there is also what is called as nritta, N-R-I-T-T-A. So nritta refers to the rhythmic um, uh, parts of the dance that we can it's hard to translate it mm. so much in English, <laughs> but what it means is, um, you know, just the it's a sequence of different dance steps put together to music and to different rhythmic syllables. And um, they are very decorative and aesthetic. And when they are choreographed, they form like beautiful patterns on stage and it's just lovely to watch. <laughs> it is lovely to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I noticed, and something that I really loved about it was it's a very holistic art form. It's not just movement. Um, there's traditional dress and there's facial expressions and hand gestures and even music. So it's a whole experience. 
And so I wanted to, I wanted to learn more about the traditional dress. So could you tell me more about that, uh, Aruthi? What we have today is an evolution of how they would have draped a sari. So I'm not sure if you've seen images of South Indian women wearing their saris. And usually it would graze the floor. So it's not that comfortable to dance in. So then um, what they would have done is just tucked it in a tad or they would tack it so that it was just below knees length so that you're able to dance, move. There's a freedom of movement in that kind of sari drape and that's what we wear today in our rehearsal spaces or classes we'd wear a cotton sari and um, attend classes and so modern costume is just an evolution of that now that we've got an understanding of how tailoring can happen and imagination has just spread far and wide Um, it's an incorporation of I guess um there are a lot of sculptures that we refer to in terms of our costumes, in terms of our hair, in terms of our post, um, posture and whatnot. So a lot of ideas do come from these amazing sculptures that you can find in South Indian temples. Um, even just everyday jewellery, I guess. It's an adaptation of that. And thinking about, you know, back in the days, you didn't have these amazing lighting and stage, right? So you would have this huge... Um, venue where it would echo you didn't have mics and whatnot the music would just echo in these mandavams or venues and the audience would sit on the floor and surrounded by them with the dancer dance so the makeup would be quite extravagant you'll see really bold eye makeup so that you can see the dancer's expression from afar so the jewelry is also um, a reflection of that you know trying to make sure that no matter how far back you sit you can actually see it so it is all about you know it is an expression of the dance and it it can be an expression of the dancer but along with that there's it's a reflection of the community that it comes from and the religion and culture that it's trying to reflect as well well that's kind of my personal understanding I might be wrong so Irina please jump in Uh, I think that's very well said you you know you've um, almost you know captured it all and uh, just another term for, um, you know, the costumes and the jewelry and everything is, um, is a word called ahadia. So mm, ahadia right. refers to the dressing, the costumes and the jewelry that we wear and the makeup. And it includes mm. even the sets that are used, you know, in the stage, the setting, the lighting, everything um, is uh, termed as ahadia. And even the jewelry that we wear, each piece of them has a significance. So, you know, why we wear the hip belt, why we wear the earrings, why we wear a little, um, you know, tikka on the forehead called as the neti chutti. And then we wear something called as the sun and the moon on the head. And um, it's supposed to mean that, you know, we get the blessings from the sun god and the moon god. So like that, um, even all the jewellery that we wear, everything has a very uh, deeper significance. Yeah. Yeah, something I really love about every ancient tradition is that over time, even the littlest things come to have really deep meanings. Um, Nothing is there without a a reason, a really beautiful reason. Um, So what is one misconception that people often have about your dancing style that you'd love to like 
uh, set the record straight about. <laughs> so I think the first thing that I'd like to really set straight is that Indian traditional dance or Bharatanatyam, or for that matter, any classical dance from from India, is not necessarily Bollywood. <laughs> That's the first point that we have to really drive home to anyone outside of India, because everyone thinks Indian dance is Bollywood, Bollywood dancing. It is not. And unfortunately, that's the name that's given to any dance form that comes from India. It's very sad. Um, because Bolly, I'm not, you know, in any way against any other dance styles or forms. It's just that Bollywood is a popular term that is used for the dance that is we of uh, we often see in the films, you know, in the movies that are from India, and that has kind of taken over. And you know, since people are so carried away by watching the movies and the films, that the that they also connect the traditional art forms with that, and they label everything as Bollywood which is not because these traditional dance forms are thousands and thousands of years old and they have as we you know we just spoke that they have very deep um, you know meanings and such a rich history and tradition behind them and we follow very strictly um, all that is given to us through several generations of teachers, mm. of gurus, and it is passed on. So that is one main <laughs> point that I wanted to share. Yeah, Aruti, you can. No, I mean, oh, I 100% agree with you. Nothing's more frustrating than having to explain the difference between yeah. classical arts and Bollywood. Um, I guess another would be, I think going off what Aruna just said, just the difficulty of being a classically trained dancer it's not something you pick up overnight it's years mm. of dedication it's i think when we choose to become artists not just take it on as a hobby or a form of exercise when we choose to become artists it's a huge commitment that we make not just physically but emotionally and spiritually as well and um to for someone to come up to you and say oh why don't you just watch a video oh I learned that off YouTube and I'm like oh <laughs> that's interesting because I spent about you know six seven years getting my foundation before I learned a very similar choreography I love that you jumped on YouTube just learned it like in a snap of a finger with no background and I think that applies to every classical Indian art form out there but also you know someone would not watch a video of ballet and come and tell you that you know they know a ballet repertoire you need training there's so much to it there's technique there's um, breathing patterns and so much so that you don't get injured and you can sustain yourself and so it's the same thing that applies to Bharatanatyam as well so that whole idea that you can just pick it up whenever you want and you'll become an expert in it and going off that as well just that no matter how 
how many years you've trained in it, you're never an expert. We continue to work and rework on what we've learned. And it's a process. It's an ongoing process. And, you know, I think sometimes we change our mind. I know that 10-year-old me was different to 16-year-old me. Mm -hmm. And now at 23, the artistic direction I want to take is quite different. And I hope it changes in 10 years' time. And people need to understand that as well. It's a very long process. It's not about just going in learning a piece and being like, yes, I've learned it. So that's something that really gets me as well, along with the Bollywood, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. And even just one point that Arati mentioned, that it is spiritual. So, you know, any Mm -hmm. traditional Indian dance style is, is very spiritual because, you know, these art forms that come from India, they all draw upon each other. So Mm. dance is inspired by the music and, you know, the music draws its inspiration from dance and then they inspire the the sculptor and then they inspire the artist who paints. And ultimately, they all have their core roots from the scriptures of India. Mm. So basically, it all kind of, you know, relates to um, the, the spiritual side of the art. And that is something that we can never ignore or never forget. So right. it is it is very deeply uh, spiritual and meaningful. And that is something that we have to really appreciate. touched on something really interesting here um especially because we live in such an instant gratification kind of world so Mm -hmm. if you have two young people and one is just watching a youtube video and learning and copying and learning it that way but another is um happy to you know go through five or six years of training to get to that same position what are they missing out on you know the person who's just jumped off on youtube and copied it what, what are they losing? Why is it worth going the classical harder route? Well, I think Aruna touched on this, right? This is the process of learning by the Natim has, it, it's thousands of years old and it's been passed down. There's actually a system to learning it. So um, if you were to take music in like Western music and you're learning piano, for instance, you know, you learn your scales and then you learn a very simple piece and you've got your grades, right? You move up and uh, I'm I have really limited knowledge when it comes to music, but you know, you move on. Like you don't instantly jump to Mozart or you don't do that, right? You've got to learn your basics. It's the same idea here. So we've got these foundations, basic movements that that you need to know that it kind of becomes muscle memory after a certain point that someone does it when your guru teaches you a piece they don't have to tell you oh you've got to keep your elbows up or you've got to keep your chin up these are all things that your body naturally knows they are not things that we get told well we shouldn't be told them because we should know if we're sitting correctly and whatnot 
So when we're learning with someone there, you have that guidance and a sense of awareness. And on top of that, a huge part of our culture is the relationship between the student and the teacher. So we, the teacher is guru and the student is sishya. So the guru-sishya connection is just as spiritual as the piece that you're performing. And it's so important. They are they're not just your teacher, but they're your mentor, your inspiration. And, um, you know, for a lot of us, they're kind of like our secondary, you know, mother, like we go to them, we're spending so much time with them, that it's, they're such an integral part of our life. So when you're learning, I don't mind people learning off YouTube, but I think that with art forms that have so much depth to it, you're missing out on that depth. And that's something that I try to bring into when I'm teaching younger kids as well. I'm kind of like, okay, think about it. How do you feel in this moment? And how does the story make you feel? And a lot of the times they're like, we don't understand why we need to act shy in front of a guy. And I'm like, I get that because it's culturally so different. And having those conversations add to their understanding, not just as a dancer, but I think in terms of understanding the heritage as well and some of the you know challenges that might arise as they grow up in this multicultural community so it's so much more nuanced than just following movement off a screen so yeah yeah and um, i guess uh, adding to that it's the authenticity of the style you know like when you actually learn in person from a guru like as she said, you know, the Guru-Sishya relationship is uh, really something very precious. And, you know, each student actually imbibes the style from her guru or from her teacher or mentor. And, you know, there are so many different styles as many gurus there are. So, you know, those are things that, can, that one can experience only in person. And, you know, so uh, it's, it's very important that um, we, we value that. We value the tradition of how the art is actually taught. And, for example, even, you know, giving classes on Zoom, you know, like over the COVID period, <laughs> of course, you know, uh, for a couple of months I had to, you know, I tried and did my best with teaching on Zoom. Oh, what a challenge that is, <laughs> because we give a beat and then when the students hear it, you know, there's a lag and then, you know, they can't really, they are dancing after I give them the beat. So it, it's quite, and then the internet is unstable and, you know, so many things happening, but nothing like in person. So, yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned uh your guru's touch or like their style of dancing just recently um with one of the senior artists I've been working with he was he was teaching me a piece and he said you know um when my guru choreographed this piece he added this little bit just a little bit you know he was like when you do this wouldn't your eyes hurt I was like oh yeah and he's like well in the choreography you've got to kind of just squint just for a millisecond but he would say that if someone learnt off a video, they would never pick up on that tiny detail. Mm -hmm. And so you could tell the person who learnt from someone who's learnt from the guru or learnt from the guru themselves or off a video. So there are these tiny things that, you know, choreographers think about that you totally miss when you're just learning off a video. Um, it's, so yeah. it's so important, yeah. that idea of 
mentorship or discipleship you know like mm. that idea of submission to a master and learning everything they know from them i think you know That's there's right. there's senseis in asia and there's gurus in your culture and in my culture it's more elders you know what i mean we okay. learn from our mm. elders um mm. because it's not just what you can read in a book it's what they've lived you know they've lived yes. the solutions to these problems that they're sharing with you it's really really That's powerful right. And you're both clearly very, very passionate. So I just wanted to ask you, what is one big reason why you choose to engage in artistry? Like seeing that it is a big spiritual and emotional commitment, what keeps you going as an artist? Uh, I know it's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me personally, uh, art is a way of life. I think initially when I started, it was just a hobby or I just did what my parents asked me to do. And that is how it started. But over the years, it has become so much part of my life that now I can't think of anything else. So, and my guru would say, you know, once a dancer, always a dancer. And that, you know, it never leaves you. You may take short breaks or, you know, but it, it's, it's just there in your blood. And then after, I think, you know, many years of just being in it and being soaked in the art, you become that. So you can't be anything else, basically. <laughs> so if I were to, you know, if someone told me, I'll give you a million dollars, do you want to take up a job? you know, in the biggest of businesses that are run here in Australia. And I would say, thank you. I'm very happy with my dance school. I love my art and that is what I want to do. (laughs) So if you are happy to support that, yes, I'm happy to take money from you to share my (laughs) art. But I wouldn't want to become a millionaire. (laughs) Incredible commitment. Uh, I think that um, I always enjoyed doing it. I never thought I'd become a dancer. I decided I'd continue doing it. I knew that I'd go to um, classes and whatnot, but I didn't think I'd take that move to kind of like, no, I want to make it as a performer. I want to be identified as a dancer. But it only hit um, probably just after my Arangitram where... um, because I did it because my guru asked me to do it. She was like, you know, I really think that you can do it. I think, you know, you're capable of it. And I was like, oh, she's bonkers. Like, that was my thought process. She's bonkers. We never thought of this. Like, my family hadn't thought about it. And so she had that initial conversation. Exactly three years later, my angry was over. And it was at that point I realized that dance was the one thing I was passionate about. Um, and I I was never dedicated towards anything. And in life until I had trained for my Arangetram. So that was my turning point where I went, okay, clearly there's something happening here. I'm committed. And like Aruna said, once you're in, you're in. You know, you can't imagine a life without it as well. Like occasionally when you take breaks, even a month break over the summer holidays, I'm just like, can we just get started already? You know, what are we doing? What's the point? What are we waiting for? And now for me it's a form of communication i think arts is a language so um i don't enjoy as much as i would love to i don't i'm not great at acting i'm not great at 
music or speaking so dance is one thing I'm comfortable communicating through so I guess I made that conscious decision to make that my language and means of communication. Guthrum, that's some kind of very important exam, right? It's, yeah, it's kind of like, it's the first time you perform a whole repertoire and you're making the statement to people that, look, I've done my basic training and um, it's just showcasing that you've learned your basics and that you're ready to become a dancer. But it's not the end, it's kind of like a graduation, but I feel like there's a misconception here that once you've done your Arangitrim, your learning ends there, but it's not. I feel like it's a license to go deeper and there's that misconception that, oh, why, like I've been asked, why do you go to classes after your Arangitrim? And I'm like, I don't understand. There's so much more to learn after this. Like I was so much more motivated after doing it. It's kind of like asking someone, why would you go and do a post-grad? You know, you never stop someone from doing a post-grad. So why are you stopping me or questioning my commitment to keep learning? So, yeah. yeah. And Arangetram is um, also is the, is the, it's like kind of the time when the guru feels that the student is ready to be a performer. So, uh, you know, when the guru feels that after many years of training, here is this beautiful dancer who is blossoming and this is a time to showcase her, to present her art to an audience. And then, you know, the the guru presents the student and uh, that's like kind of uh, like as Aruti said, it is quite a defining moment. Because mm. that's your first ever full-length stage performance and you really, really experience what it takes to be a dancer. And then once you've had a little taste of that, you just want to keep doing it. <laughs> so, you know, then that's like very motivating and it, it gives you that, it's like, you know, you just taste a sweet fruit and then you want to keep having it. That's it. Mm. <laughs> Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So, Ruthie, I know that you've grown up in Western Sydney. And mm-hmm. Aruna, I know that you've established a dance school in southwestern Sydney. And so I want to ask you, beyond those two things, uh, what role has Western Sydney played uh, you know, on your career and how has it helped? What do you love about it? I think for me personally... Um... I just happened to be in Southwest Sydney by destiny, I guess. When I moved from India to Australia, I moved to Southwest Sydney and that was due to a personal, you know, circumstance at the time. And then I just happened to settle down here. I just love the place. I was here and I'm here. And I guess I will be here. (laughs) So this is where I started my dance school. And uh, I've had a lot of, um, uh, you know, support from the community this side. And so many, um, I think, uh, people from our cultural background live around this area. And they were all very keen for their children to take to this art. Because they felt that this kind of connects them 
back to their Indian tradition. So that way, you know, I guess I've found my niche here and then, um, yeah. And now, of course, I've started a new branch in North Sydney as well. But um, Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I guess it's it's a lovely place to be in. And of course, I have seen, you know, sometimes there is this, uh, I don't know how to term it, but people say, oh, you live out there in the West. Why don't you move this side, you know, move to the North Shore, you know, move to the East, <laughs> go there, go here. I'm, like, I'm happy here. Why do I have to move? <laughs> if you want to learn, you can come here or, you know, like uh, it, it's um, it's just as good as anywhere. So absolutely. Yeah. I love that idea of you want high quality training, come to Western Sydney where you'll get the high quality <laughs> training. Because we need that. We need that. We, we have the talent yeah. and yeah. now we're beginning to have the institutions as well. So mm. it's really good to hear. Uh, how about you, Aruthi? Um, well, as I said, I was born and raised in Western Sydney. Um, and so I was always immersed within our cultural community I guess um I was lucky on some level that that was the case um because you're surrounded by um you know your mother tongue your heritage quite a lot which is great on one level but I think the way Western Sydney's kind of shaped me is that we're this hot pot of cultures right and you have the sense of respect for other cultures and sometimes you forget to reflect upon your own and mm. what you have to offer and it takes for someone else to come and appreciate what you have to kind of sit back and think oh yeah I do have something valuable and I think that's what Western Sydney has to offer of course I'm very defensive because it's home so <laughs> um you know I feel like there's so much there and then also on a personal level I think we all go through this we have an identity crisis at a certain point and we're like who are we like what makes us us and I had that in primary school because I was surrounded by people who were of the same you know ethnicity and whatnot we would do a lot of co-curriculars together but there was a sense of oh we're just doing it because we have to do it but the sad part was I really enjoyed learning my dance but I would lie saying I was doing it for the sake of it just so I could fit in as a 11 year old that's what I wanted and looking back I'm so ashamed of myself but that was so important to me to go through that to see that people who share my ethnicity couldn't you know appreciate what we have and then to go to high school outside of western sydney where people were of different backgrounds and were really respecting of what i do and so you have that kind of contrast you've got a great hot pot of cultures in western sydney but sometimes being within your community as well it can be they're an amazing support system to this day there are so many members that come out just for me but at the same time there were people at certain points in my life that really posed as a challenge that I had to learn to get by and obviously had an impact on who I am today. So it all ended up being for the best. But yeah, so Western Sydney has been a great learning ground, I think. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. And speaking about, you know, finding your identity, um, how do you feel about always being perceived as a cultural or an Indian dancer? Is that a title that you love <laughs> or is it a label that you find um, restrictive? I, ooh, I think it's 
I don't mind it, but it depends on what context it is. Um, I love dancing in general. So you can ask me to explore in any sort of genre and I'll come along and I'll give it a shot. Um, but the reality is that I think I committed to Bharatanatyam so much. Like currently in my week, I'm like four days a week, I'm at lessons. So I'm at a point where I couldn't take on another art form, like another dance form. I just, you know, I, cause to me, if I commit, then I've got to commit. Like if it's a term of dancing then I have to commit to a term of that genre and I just couldn't get around to it. So it wasn't because I'm not capable of it. It's just in that moment, things didn't fall into place for me to be able to explore another avenue. So it's funny because I do have friends who learn Bharatanatyam, but they've always done other styles. They've always done a bit of hip hop. Their school has had that program or they do a bit of Bollywood on their own. And so they're identified as dancers. They're not identified as Bharatanatyam dancers, you know, and I'm sure they have their own struggles. But for me, it's always a shock when Oh, it's always a shock for other people when they're kind of like, oh, I saw you do a bit of hip hop there. I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying I'm great, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to not give it a shot. So sometimes when people ask me to perform, I'm like, okay, so what do you want? Like, do you want a Bharatanatyam piece? Do you want a fusion? Do you want, what is it that you're after? And they're like, oh, you can, you're happy to do something outside of Bharatanatyam? I'm like, yeah, that's my personal choice. Like, I'm happy to do that. But have that conversation with me before assuming that, I'm only comfortable with Bharatanatyam. So it depends on who who it is and what context it is as well. Like, yeah, depends. <laughs> Typecasting isn't necessarily a positive experience, right? So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. And everything is oddly politically charged sometimes, even if it's just a dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. I try not to think about it sometimes because then my mind kind of just starts going all over the place. It's better and... that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Aruna, how about you? How would you define yourself as a dancer? Yeah, um, I think for me, uh, you know, like from what you mentioned about being called as a culturally diverse artist or, you know, a uh, whatever it is um a rose is a rose and it's just a name so how does it matter you know what what we are called as we are who we are so you know i am a bharatanatyam dancer and that is who i am and i'm proud to be called that and um just as a ballet dancer is a ballet dancer so that is our each individual um it's it's just a name for the art that we are practicing. So to me, it really doesn't matter much as long as we are not really, you know, um, like kind of compartmentalized or saying, you know, like just because you're this, you know, like we um, we can't include your work as part of what we present. That's right. Th then that becomes a big mm. block. So as long as, you know, Australia is open to welcoming artists from wherever we are, we do our best. We are doing the best in our artistic forms. So as long as that is valued, then the name really doesn't matter. Just see us as an artist. See, see the art. Appreciate the art. And let's forget the names. <laughs> 
And actually, that's, I think it's a really good note to end on. We always like to ask this question because it's very inspirational. So for all the young dancers at home who are perhaps, you know, Indian or they really like Bharata Natyam, um, and they, they'd it. love it. Thank you. And they'd love to give it a go. What advice would you give to them? Give it a go. <laughs> I mean, until you try something, you'll never know. So, I mean, no matter how old you are, just sign up to whoever you think will suit your learning style and give it 110% and see where it takes you. And not be afraid to talk to other people and have open conversations. I think in this day and age, you've got technology and whatnot, like the internet, like you know go reach out to someone over their um social media platform or whatever it may be and just have a chat or you know you don't have to commit to learn from them but just you know get to know what you can do and yeah just give it a shot there's nothing to lose you're not going to make a fool out of yourself yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and uh i would feel uh you know for anyone wanting to learn bharatanatyam uh, the first quality is to have the patience to learn this art because as Arati was also saying in the beginning, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. So we need to have that patience, have the commitment, have the dedication. And for anyone aspiring to really, really learn the art, absorb it, and then, you know, to really experience the joy of just performing and of you know, just communicating, just sharing your own stories through dance. This is such a wonderful medium. It is such a wonderful medium of communication. It is such a divine art form. So for anyone wanting to take it, I would say just go for it, as Arati said, and, you know, just enjoy the experience of learning, of performing, of just being out there. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having both of you here. Um, I feel really, Thank really you. inspired. I've learned a lot. And I think I'll actually <laughs> look into your art form more. So thank you very much. Well, thank oh, you for thank having you. me. Yeah. Yes, me too. Thanks. And uh, also, I'd like to add that it's lovely to hear from Aruti, who's a young dancer, you know, who has oh, learned this you. art here, um, you know, like for me, I come from India where the art is already there in mm. full on. And, you know, mm. for a student who has learned the art here and the values that she has and that she is really, you know, growing up with, it is so beautiful and it is so promising. So oh, thank lovely. You. Thank you. And it's just yeah. been great to actually converse with someone. As you said, you, you did grow up in India, but you also have an understanding of what we're experiencing here as well. And you're mm-hmm. obviously a part of our community here as well. So it's great to actually share and I guess compare notes on experiences. Yeah. So lovely meeting sure. you. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> You've been listening to Formidables, a podcast series commissioned and produced by Form Dance Projects. We thank Riverside Theatres, Diversity Arts and Information Cultural Exchange for their partnership, and we thank the Crown Resort, the Packer Foundation, and Create New South Wales for making this possible. I hope you all feel inspired and excited. Stay creative and stay tuned.